This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And next week could be a big one, Jen. Uh, the House may finally be voting on the massive budget reconciliation package to expand the social safety net and combat climate change, roughly $2 trillion worth of spending and tax credits. Uh, They think they have the votes for it, uh, but they've been waiting for uh, a price tag out of the Congressional Budget Office, which still is not done. We don't know exactly when it'll come, but they want to vote next week. They think it's going to happen, but this package is not nearly done. Right. The House Democratic Caucus has been working on terms of how to figure out final votes on this package for months now. And the original plan was to try to pre-conference this reconciliation package with the Senate so that the House would pass the reconciliation package, the Senate would pass the exact same version, and then it would go to President Joe Biden for his signature. That is likely not to be the case anymore. As much as House Democratic leaders uh, working with moderate and centrists in the party have tried to get agreement on one package, uh, it doesn't seem like there is yet final agreement, particularly in the Senate with centrists Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. And so the plan right now is that once the Congressional Budget Office, that sort of nonpartisan scorekeeper of all legislation on Capitol Hill, releases their final sort of tally for how much this this bill would spend and potentially increase deficits over the 10-year budget window, that the House will put that legislation on the floor for a vote ahead of the Thanksgiving week break. But right now, there is not yet a clear indication from the Congressional Budget Office of when that score will be complete. So that's adding a little bit of uncertainty to the House vote timeline here. Yeah, and that's that's really the dilemma here, right? Because Folks might remember, I mean, they were hoping to, to um, get this passed last week when they did the big infrastructure bill at the same time. Progressives in the House had been pushing for months, saying they would only vote the two bills together, infrastructure and this Build Back Better package. And that didn't happen. Uh, the, the party moderates were able to force a delay in this big reconciliation package on the grounds that they need to see the official price tag from the Congressional Budget Office, which is now working furiously behind the scenes to spit out as many cost estimates as they can here to piece it all together. Uh, we've seen some of these, some little pieces of the bill come out with their with their price tags in the last few days, but they've got a lot more to do. Uh, and we don't really know when, it, when it'll all come together. It's such a massive package. Um, but they, the moderates did make a deal with the progressives in order to get that infrastructure bill passed, which the moderates really wanted to see passed. 
they did make this deal where they agreed to vote by next week, the week of November 15, on the big reconciliation bill. Whether that comes with or without the price tag from the Congressional Budget Office, I guess we don't really know. But the betting is they're going to be a vote next week. Right. And one thing that we should point out here is that the House vote on the reconciliation package, whether or not that gets delayed for a CBO score, isn't actually delaying a Senate vote on the reconciliation package because of the Senate rules on the budget reconciliation process that allows Democrats to get around that 60-vote legislative filibuster in the Senate. The Senate needs to have the full Congressional Budget Office score on every element of this package before the Senate can actually take this process forward and then hold final votes in that chamber. And so a quick vote on the reconciliation package in the House ahead of a CBO score, if that would send it over to the Senate, the Senate would then just sort of have to wait until the Congressional Budget Office gives it that full score. So that sort of timeline and the rules of this rather complicated process are also in play here. Right. And folks might get confused when we throw a bunch of numbers around on this bill because the numbers do keep changing. You know, this is the package that President Biden came out with and said would be $1.75 trillion. Uh, We're not using that number anymore because, you know, the House Democrats now added back uh, the, the program for paid family and medical leave to this bill, which had been stripped out. So the costs of this thing are heading inching back up a little. So we think it's going to come in roughly around $2 trillion, but we don't know. Uh, and until the Congressional Budget Office comes out with its final price tag, we won't know. Um, but it's going to be more than the $1.75 trillion that, that Biden first offered here in, in the slimmed down version of the bill, which you might remember started out at $3.5 trillion. So the numbers have been all over the map here, and they're still going to change And what we have to talk about, Jen, is even if they get it through the House next week, it it then goes to the evenly divided Senate, where every Democratic senator is a kingmaker or queenmaker uh, with the power to block this thing. And it's going to go through more changes in the Senate. Already, we've we've seen several issues that are brewing that that, uh, Senate Democrats want to change. Right. And the four weeks of paid family and medical leave that Speaker Pelosi uh, instructed her members to add back into this reconciliation package after it was changed from 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave to four weeks and then removed because of Joe Manchin's objections in the Senate, that is back in the House bill. And so it remains to be seen what will happen with that provision uh, in the Senate and whether or not uh, Mansion will demand that that and potentially other language in this package is removed to get his vote, or whether you know looking at sort of the overall price tag and the other elements in the package that Mansion will say, okay, I guess I can accept four weeks of paid family and medical leave. Um, but he has been pretty vocal with reporters the last few weeks. Um, there's a couple different reasons of his that he does not want that in this package. Um, and that applies to various other elements as well. So paid leave is still a big battle. And then, 
several of the Democrats have made clear in the Senate they're just still not comfortable with how this package is paid for. Um, you know, they were very disappointed when when they abandoned the idea of raising tax rates, raising the corporate income rate, raising the top individual uh, rate uh, to try to reverse some of the Trump tax cuts they were eager to reverse. Uh, and then when that didn't happen, a lot of the Democrats were very disappointed in in the in the other things they've come up with here to try to pay for this. And we have Ron Wyden, the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, still out there pushing for his, what he calls his billionaire's income tax, this, this tax on assets of, of people over a billion dollars in assets that would be subject to a, a capital gains kind of tax. Um, he still wants that in here. So we don't know. There's going to be the pay for side of this thing is still in flux is my sense. And then, and then the other big battle that, that just, just came up this week was a fight over this expanded tax credit for electric cars where Joe Manchin once again is, is putting his foot down and saying he doesn't like this thing because this increase in the electric car tax credit uh, the way House Democrats structured it, it says you can't get this additional $4,500 tax credit unless the car was made with union labor. And that union provision really bothered him because he's got, he was just at a press event in his homestead of West Virginia where Toyota announced this new uh, parts facility for one of its cars, a hybrid car, I think. And they don't have, it's not a union shop. And so anyone who buys cars from them would not get this tax credit. And so he doesn't like this thing and he's fighting it. So that's another, another place where you're going to have a big fight. You can see how they're not done by any, any stretch of the measure. And to get this through the Senate with every single Senate Democratic vote needed is going to be a real battle here. And we're going to see a lot of tweaks in these, in these programs as it goes forward. Right. And this is probably a good point to step back and remind everyone that one, that reconciliation package goes to the Senate uh, because they are using the budget reconciliation process to advance this package. It will sort of trigger that marathon all night amendment voting session known as Voterama. Um, we've had three so far this year, um, and so this would be the fourth one of the year. Um, and this is going to be one of those situations where you know Democratic leaders are going to be really sort of struck between stuck between a rock and a hard place with some of their members because there could be a situation where Senator Manchin is putting these proposals forward, you know, potentially putting forward an amendment that says he wants to remove the child tax credit or this union provision in the electrical vehicle tax credit. And, you know, Republicans might vote with him on that um, just to sort of stress out the Democrats and try to derail this package like they've wanted to do for months. And so it's going to be a really tough position, particularly for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, to make sure that you know, any changes to this package in the Senate are agreed upon by all Democrats heading into that voterama. And that if there are changes to be made, not only do Democrats agree to them, but Democrats are unified and potentially putting those forward in one amendment that Schumer would offer or something like that. So those negotiations are very much 
um, you know, happening and in the preliminary stages right now as they try to figure out what changes in terms of tax policy and spending policy need to take place in this legislation and then make sure Democrats are united because otherwise there could be a really sticky and very frustrating situation for a lot of Democrats where, you know, if Manchin wants a provision removed or added or changed, he does in this process have the right to put forward amendments and to get those amendments voted on on the floor. And because Republicans are unified against this package and it is an evenly divided Senate, all 50 Senate Republicans plus Joe Manchin would change various aspects of this bill and potentially you know, the floor could fall out here uh, if that starts happening. And so I think there's a lot of planning and strategy going into these Senate changes and making sure that Democrats in that chamber stay united on what they're doing to this package. So there isn't a situation where Republicans sort of have a big say in a package they don't want to vote for. Which gives you a sense of why this may take so much longer in the Senate than people may realize. I mean, this could really take some time. We, we could be, I think, verging into December in, toward Christmas before this thing can get done because it's so hairy in the Senate. And, and, and it's why Manchin has so much leverage right now to reshape this package uh, and also cinema. We shouldn't we shouldn't forget Kirsten Cinema here, who also has sought changes in this, but she's been so quiet and and so unwilling to talk to the press that we don't really know where, what she wants changed. Um, that's always been a, a a lingering mystery here that is still unanswered. But she could insist on changes too um, that we just don't even know about yet. So between Mansion and Cinema uh, and the delicate balance. Uh, the Senate really has its work cut out for it. Right. And, and I mean, if you were to open up this package to changes that Manchin and Cinema want, the sort of logical step from there is that progressives say, well, why can't we get our changes in? This is a 50-50 Senate. Every single senator, in theory, has the same weight behind their vote. And so if they start opening up this package to more changes from centrists like Manchin and Cinema. You could also have a situation where more progressives like Bernie Sanders step forward with an amendment that says, you know, we will be expanding Medicare to fully cover vision, dental and hearing, uh, which is something he's been advocating for for years and very highly during the last few months that his full version of that Medicare expansion is not in this package. And so I think that's complicated as well. Once you open up this bill to one or two requests, you're going to have everyone else sort of lining up and saying, well, I could also vote against it. Why am I not getting what I want? And that's the really, really challenging situation here. Yeah. I think the only difference though is I, I, I think someone like Bernie Sanders would offer an amendment like that because he does want to expand Medicare more than this bill does. But I think it's unlikely that that amendment would pass. And the, the threat of Sanders voting against the whole bill seems to ring a little hollow. Everyone knows he's going to vote for the bill. He's not going to he's not going to vote against the whole thing, whereas Manchin actually might. <laughs> I mean, Manchin's vote really is up for grabs. So that's why I think his leverage is even greater here. Uh, and Cinema's leverage may be greater, too, than than the progressive side is. Right. And that makes complete sense. But I also think that we should point out that during Voterama, especially when we get into the 3 a.m., 4 a.m. 
10 a.m. time frame when everyone is exhausted and hasn't slept and is hungry, tensions run very high. And then the other, the other point to, to make here, Jen, I think is even when we get this official price tag from the Congressional Budget Office, um, you know, each side is going to use it for its own political advantage, right? And what, what we're actually going to have are dueling cost estimates here because Republicans have already tried to reframe the terms of debate on this thing. And, and they've asked the top budget leaders on the Republican side have, have, have asked the CBO for an alternative cost estimate. They want to know how much this package would really cost if all of the programs in this bill were actually extended through the 10 years instead of being you know, cut short to keep the price down, which is what Democrats did to structure this bill. Uh, you know, a lot of these programs are short term because they don't they're trying to s- keep within the price tag, they think, of less than two trillion dollars. Uh, and and a lo- and there's an understanding there that those that those durations are kind of artificial because they're going to try to extend the programs once once this bill, if it passes, they'll eventually try to extend it. And Republicans are arguing, well, that's not quite honest because everybody knows that these programs would continue. And so you got to look at the whole cost of them over the 10 years. And they're saying, actually, this bill would cost four and a half trillion dollars if you did that. And so you're going to have a debate over which, you know, there's going to be the official cost estimate. And then there's going to be the alternative Republican cost estimate uh, of what it, of, of a, at a much higher figure if these programs were actually extended. It's the same sort of strategy, though, Republicans did when they passed their big tax cuts a few years back. You might remember they artificially kept the tax cuts to only a few years in length to keep the to make it look like the price tag was smaller, even though they're going to try to extend the tax cuts going forward uh, if they come back in power. So um, we're going to have that battle to play off too. Is is how much does this pro this package really cost, uh, and and whose figures do you really want to believe? Do you want to believe? Democrats that they'll only keep these programs temporary, or do you want to believe Republicans in that once you give out these pro- these benefits to people, you're going to have to extend them, and then the price is going to be much higher than than is being advertised. And so you can look for that debate to come in full force once the CBO comes out with its figures. Right, but we should point out that while the Republicans have requested the CBO do this sort of different scoring of how the Democrats reconciliation package would impact spending and deficits if all these programs were extended for the full 10-year budget window. We don't actually know yet if CBO will do that or if they will do that, what the timeline for that would be. That's true. And and particularly on the timeline side, because CBO is so swamped right now, who knows when they'd have time to actually get to that. I, I think they would make an effort probably to address that because because lawmakers have requested it of them, but who knows if it would actually come in time for the vote. But even if it doesn't come in time for the vote, Republicans are certainly going to be making that argument that that the cost is actually much higher than this than this estimate shows because these programs would get extended. Um, and so that's where they are. And, and there's just going to be a huge battle over, over uh, how to assess the cost of this package. With all of Joe Biden's legacy here on the line for this to, to sink or swim uh, in the in the coming weeks here, um, and so that's where we are right now. Big vote next week, we think, 
in the House, and then it goes to the Senate for yet more changes. And then, of course, anything that the Senate changes, it'll have to come back to the House for another vote. This is going to go on a while. We'll be covering it all for you. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>